Heavenly Father, as we've sung already, so we pray again, please show us more of the glory and the beauty of Christ, not only in his divine nature, but in his humanity this morning. And please help us. Lord, help us to see ourselves rightly in his light. Help us to not be ashamed of our humanity in the ways that we might tend to be when we needn't be. Help us to learn to tell the difference between the effects of, of sin and the fall on us and those things that you created originally as good. Please comfort us. Please encourage us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, last week we began a series looking at how the Christmas story dignifies our humanity. If you were wondering what the opening slide is, it's actually a picture of someone's chin and their collarbone. Um, but the, the point is, there are lots of ways I think we can be ashamed of our humanity. Ways that we struggle, particularly with our bodies, our limitations, our dependency. And maybe we confuse those things with sin. When actually, there is something about our bodies, something about our limitations, something about our dependencies that is good and part of the way that God made us. Something to receive with thankfulness, something to rejoice in. And the incarnation, Jesus becoming flesh, that's what incarnate means, it's Latin simply for in flesh or enfleshed. Jesus taking on a human body, fully like us in every way, helps us to see the dignity of our humanity, maybe to view it in a better light. That's what this series is trying to help with. As we begin, we're going to be focusing particularly on our bodies today. I want to share a, a little example I came across recently of a, a way perhaps it shows how we struggle with our bodies and our image in, in the culture that we're in. I'm not on Facebook or Instagram, mainly for my own sanity, um, but I haven't realized that people now take authentic selfies to post alongside the sort of idealized ones. So for every moment of apparent blissful happiness in your life, you'll post another photo of you just looking bored or fed up or, I don't know, washing the dishes. Um, and for every moment when you look your most stunningly beautiful, you also try to recreate another shot where you've got, I don't know, a double chin or dark rings under your eyes or stains down the front of your best top. And it's an attempt to push back against a culture that struggles to accept us for who we really are. But the irony is that even these authentic shots become staged and artificial. Because who's to say that a really joyful or beautiful moment is less authentic than a really mundane or slightly ugly one? And how is a moment authentic if it's been staged? I think that's just a little indication of how we feel uncomfortable with our humanity and we don't quite know what to do with it at times. 
And it's our, our bodies in particular that I want to focus on, as I've said. I want to begin by exploring what the incarnation means for the goodness and the dignity of our bodies, even when they are very broken. And then I want to begin to show how our, our bodies are an essential part of our identity, something that can't be taken for granted in a society that often prizes the inner self and sees the body as something of a shell, maybe a convenient one, maybe something of a prison. Obviously, in one sermon, we can't do this, cover this from every angle or in lots of depth. And there will be opportunity, I hope, to, to, to discuss this, reflect on this further in home groups if you're in one. And if you're not, um, I'd love you to chat to me and we can see if we can put you in one. Um, I'm also going to make a couple of book recommendations at the end that might help further. Do just come chat to me or Dan as well if you've got further questions, as I'm sure many will. What I want to do now is just give some basic building blocks, some essential building blocks that lay the foundations for how we can think well about our bodies in light of the incarnation, in light of Jesus' body. And I hope that we're going to see the glorious significance of his body more clearly. And I hope that we'll see the preciousness of our own bodies more clearly too. And I hope that, that this will help us to feel less ashamed. I don't know what way you might feel most ashamed about your body. That was a question I left with, with you last week to, to go away and think about. But I hope that what we explore today will help us to feel less ashamed. So let's start with Jesus. We saw last week in Hebrews 2 that the eternal Son of God was not ashamed to step down into creation, to take on our full humanity, there is no part of our humanity that he refused to accept, apart from our sinful desires. So he took on our flesh, our blood, our hormones, our nervous systems, our digestive systems, our neural pathways, everything. The human soul, spirit, the human will. He had a real, complete body and he was not ashamed of it, as Hebrews 2 Verse 11 says, not ashamed to be part of the same family as us, the same biological family as us. To put it another way, the human body is good enough for God. It is good enough for God. Good enough for him to take one upon himself. It wasn't an embarrassment to him. It's not a mistake that he'd rather forget about. It is his masterpiece. Now that should be clear from the Old Testament alone. It isn't until human beings have been made in Genesis 1 in the story of creation that God declares creation as a whole is very good in verse 31. Not just good as it was up till that point. With human beings there it is now very good. Humans are the pinnacle of God's creation. Just as we saw again in Hebrews 2, verse 6 to 8, which are quoting from the Old Testament, quoting from Psalm 8. Humans were intended to be even higher than the angels. And in Jesus, one human being now is even higher than the angels, crowned with glory and honour, because he conquered sin and death for us. 
he's opened the way for us to follow after him. So human beings are the pinnacle of creation. When Psalm 139 was read earlier, we heard the same truth affirmed in verse 14. King David, who was an ordinary man like us and a sinful man, could still say to God, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. This was a man who committed adultery and then murdered that woman's husband and messed up his own family in various ways. But under all the brokenness, loved God, and he could still say, even with his sin, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So the Old Testament was clear that the human body is God's masterpiece. But the incarnation confirms that even more clearly. Because God the Son, as we've said, was not ashamed to attach a human body to his divine nature. And if we're still in any doubt, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead puts it beyond dispute. Because Jesus was not raised as a, as a disembodied spirit or a brain on a stick because he didn't want to have to deal with inconveniences like emotions or physical needs. Jesus' mind wasn't simply uploaded onto some kind of cosmic hard drive so he could just roam freely in cyberspace forever. No. He was raised in a body that could be touched, with wounds in his hands and his feet and his side that his doubting Apostle Thomas could put his finger into. He was raised with a body that could cook breakfast on a beach eat fish in front of his disciples and break bread. So he is doubly unashamed to share in our humanity because he is keeping his, human, his body, his humanity, forever. It will be part of him for the rest of eternity. Jesus' full humanity is a beautiful thing and it is a wonderful comfort for us because he's not ashamed to share in it, we don't need to be ashamed of it either. What does that mean for our bodies? Firstly, we're going to look, as I said, at the basic goodness of our bodies. Then we will look at where the value of our bodies comes from. And then finally, we'll look at how our bodies are an essential part of our identity. So firstly, our bodies are basically good. This is something that the incarnation shows. If you take away sin and the effects of the fall and decay and sickness and death, the basic fact of having a body is good. Again, Psalm 139. Even with all the effects of sin and the fall, David could say he was fearfully and wonderfully made. And that remains true even when our bodies don't measure up to our culture's ideals of beauty. Ideas of beauty are very subjective in any case. They vary from one culture to another and one period in history to another. I read that in some African and Arabic countries, being overweight, by our standards at least, is associated with richness and beauty and strength and fertility. It hasn't always been considered beautiful, even in Britain, to be stick-thin. But the incarnate Jesus shows that lacking 
subjective physical beauty does not alter a person's worth one bit. In Isaiah 53 in verse 2, where the prophet Isaiah foresaw the coming of Jesus as a suffering servant of God, he wrote, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. So there was nothing particularly remarkable or attractive about Jesus's outward appearance, either his, his physical looks or his clothes. He probably wasn't especially tall. He probably wasn't especially muscular. He probably wasn't especially handsome. He probably wouldn't have worn all the beautiful robes that we typically see him wearing in stained glass windows in old churches. And I doubt he would have made it onto the cover of Men's Health magazine. Yet he was not ashamed. He was not ashamed to take on that particular body. And his humanity was no less valuable for being plain and unremarkable. So I wonder, do you realise that you are still fearfully and wonderfully made? even if you don't feel like you measure up to our society's standards of beauty. Many of them are unhealthy and realistic in any case, let's face it. And do you realise that you are still fearfully and wonderfully made as you age? Even when parts of your body don't work properly anymore. Even when our... Sorry... Our biology is, is surely a testament to the fact that even if we're 93 and we can barely feed ourselves, we are still fearfully and wonderfully made. The simple fact that every cell in your body can continue to turn glucose and oxygen into energy to keep it alive is an incredible feat of engineering in itself. And while each cell in your body is too small to see, did you know that your DNA if stretched out, would be two metres long. That's taller than probably anyone in this room. And the DNA in just one of your cells was enough to code for the entire shape and appearance of your mature, grown-up body in that very first cell in your mother's womb. And even when parts of your body are giving up, your brain and your nervous system are still firing electrical signals around your body at 400 kilometers per hour to keep your heart beating, to keep the rest of your body functioning. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Even until the moment when we die. And even if someone suffers from a lifelong physical or mental disability, they are worth no less in God's sight. Our bodies are basically good. Can you believe that of yourself? Secondly, just as our bodies are basically good, our value as a human being is fixed, even if our bodies don't work and look like we'd like them to. Our value is fixed. Genesis 1 verse 27 affirms that God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. 
That is, we are created to represent God on earth by filling it, ruling it, subduing it, and caring for it under him, as Genesis 1.28 goes on to command. Now, that's not to say we're to mercilessly exploit the earth. That would not be faithfully representing a God who cares for his creation, who declares it to be good. But the basic point is that we image God by ruling the earth under him. And that is a status that is given uniquely to human beings. No other animal, not even to angels. So it's a status that comes from outside ourselves. And this is crucial. God's image does not work like a a quality control inspection in a factory. We don't qualify as his image bearers only if our our physical strength is enough or our, our good looks or our intelligence or our health or our abilities to look after ourselves reach a certain standard. His image isn't present only if our minds and bodies are perfect. Even if our DNA is damaged by mutations and defects, as I suspect probably all of ours is at some level. His image is still present. That is because it is conferred on us from outside. If we're human, as opposed to a dog or an iguana or a giraffe or a whale, we qualify as image bearers. It doesn't matter how broken down our humanity is, how old or infirm or disabled we are. To give an illustration, just think we, we don't generally chuck a king or a queen off the throne just because they're getting old or ill, do we? When, when Queen Elizabeth II could no longer perform as many state visits or hold as many garden parties or bestow as many knighthoods because of her health, she didn't cease to be queen. We might have a regent for a while if the monarch is really incapacitated, The regent is the one who sort of looks after royal affairs in their stead. But the king or queen does not lose their throne or their status until they die or abdicate. And that's because their status and their dignity and their significance as a monarch is conferred upon them from outside themselves by society, their family, even, Romans 13 might lead us to believe, by God. So it is not something they can simply lose just because they can't fulfill all their normal duties anymore. It's the same for us with God's image. Age and infirmity and disability do not take away our status, our dignity, our significance as God's image bearers. We can be good image bearers by obeying him. We can be bad image bearers by continuing to rebel against him. But we're still image bearers. The incarnation affirms this. It affirms the the dignity and the, the status of us as God's image bearers. Because the Son of God did not step into creation as a tree or a badger or a pillar of fire, but as a human being. It is human beings that God wants to rescue and to heal, most of all, from the effects of sin and the fall. 
We see that in the, the great unfolding story of the Bible. We, we, we see that he will restore all of creation eventually, but not until he has healed us. And not just our bodies, but our desires, our powers of reasoning, which are also fallen, our emotions. And that is why Jesus became fully like us, to redeem and repair everything about our being. Inwardly first in this life, and then outwardly when he comes again and raises us in glorious new bodies. So God cares deeply about his image in us. The incarnation proves this. He's committed to restoring it. And that shows us that our value as his image bearers remains. It is still deeply significant. We're not less valuable because someone thinks we're plain or ugly. We're not less valuable because we're less academically gifted than some of our classmates or peers. You don't need to feel ashamed because you're in a lower set for maths, English or science. You don't need to feel ashamed because you've got a second or third class degree. We're not less valuable because we have, some of us, a smaller capacity to just do stuff whether that's doing more A-levels or rising up the ranks at work and taking on more responsibility or just being on more rotors at church. Our value as God's image bearers remains, even if age and disability mean that we take more from society or our family or our church than we can give back to it. Not everyone can be a net contributor, and that is okay. Which is why we need to be really careful, really wary of, of trends in secular thought that judge everything by its usefulness. At worst, that leads to the lives of certain infants or disabled people or elderly people just being written off because they are too dependent on others. But they are still God's image bearers. And he is committed to restoring that image. So I wonder, do you feel inadequate because you're not particularly strong or useful or beautiful by, I don't know whose measure? The beautiful truth of the incarnation is that God values you just the same as any other human being. And where each of us has injuries and diseases and physical impairments or mental struggles, where we're simply suffering the effects of aging, Know that God is absolutely committed to repairing and healing all those things when Jesus returns and when he raises you with Jesus. Our value is set by God. He is the one who gives us our status as image bearers. And Jesus is restoring that image in all who believe. Finally, if our bodies are basically good, if they are something that God is committed to restoring, they are an essential part of our identity. It, your body and my body is an inseparable part, inseparable part of what makes you, you, and what makes me, me. Again, as Psalm 139 verse 14 says, 
The human body is knit together by God in the mother's womb. That's not ignoring the incredible natural processes by which a mother's egg is fertilized and becomes the start of a unique life and then grows exponentially through cell division. But Psalm 139 verse 16 does say that this process takes place under God's providential care and guidance so that all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So your body, my body, is a good gift from God, even if it brings many, many trials during this life. I'll say a little more about that later. But however uncomfortable our bodies feel at times, however much they might feel like a prison at times to some of us, we cannot relegate our bodies below our inner thoughts and feelings. As if it's only my inner self that is the real me. As if my body needs to be remade to fit with my inner desires. That's partly because we can't actually separate out the body from the inner self so neatly. We can't compartmentalize them. Our emotions are influenced by our biology, by our hormones and our brain chemistry. That means mental illnesses like depression are linked with lower levels of serotonin in the brain. Other chemical imbalances too. And anything from addictions to post-traumatic stress disorder is caused, at least in part, by the, the physical rewiring of the brain, the forging of unhealthy neural pathways as a result of an experience that happened to our physical bodies. So you can't separate the inner from the outer self. Equally importantly, the, the whole way that we experience reality is mediated through the physical senses of sight and taste and touch and smell and hearing. We can't know anything apart from the physical senses. Even when we're theorizing about things that we can't see or feel, like gravity or God, our starting point is what we can see or feel. Like Isaac Newton, wondering how the apple fell and allegedly landed on his head. And our worldviews, the lenses through which we see the world around us and make sense of it, they are also shaped and influenced by our experiences in the body. They're shaped by what has made us feel good, what has caused us pain, what has worked well for us, what hasn't. As an example, I, I, I probably view marriage and family as a pretty positive thing, partly because I've had positive experiences of them. For some people, their experience is anything but positive of them. So, and so they, they're naturally more wary of marriage and much less keen to maintain close ties with their family. So we don't develop our thoughts and our ideas and our hopes and fears in a vacuum. Everything is so connected with our bodies and physical experience and reality. And that is to say, if we want to understand ourselves rightly, if we want to feel at ease in our bodies, we need to embrace what God has given us. I don't want to be overly simplistic about a hugely complicated and emotive area. 
But it's not just our bodies that are affected by the fall, as I said earlier. It is our abilities to feel and think and reason. And you may have noticed that in the Bible, God is most interested in healing our hearts, our inner selves first. That is what he focuses on healing in this life, our hopes and fears and desires and wills. And apart from miracles which seem to be few and far between in the UK church, he mostly leaves the healing of the body until the next life. And that suggests that our inner selves are actually in more urgent need of repair than our bodies if we are to know and relate to God and enjoy him rightly. Our bodies are perhaps not our biggest problem. We shouldn't always assume that if we, if we struggle with a sense of our image or identity, that it's our bodies that need to change first. If we feel trapped, maybe because your, your biological sex feels different to your felt gender, that, isn't, that feeling is not necessarily more reliable than your biology. So if we want to grow in contentment, in all-round health as human beings, we need Christ to heal our bodies and our minds and our brain chemistry and our emotions and our nervous systems and everything. And that is what he is committed to doing. That is what the incarnation promises. Even our struggles, even the things we find hardest, our opportunities to experience God's Grace, his upholding, his comfort, his sustaining, his power in fresh ways, if we will let him. So rather than fight against our bodies, the path of joy and contentment is to learn to accept them, even while we long for their renewal, which will come if we trust in Jesus. If you do want to do some further reading on this, um, two books I would recommend. Um, sadly, I didn't get as far as putting them up on slides, which might have been helpful. Um, Sam Albury's book, What God Has to Say About Our Bodies. What God Has to Say About Our Bodies by Sam Albury is one that I've not read all of, but I've sort of dipped into as I've been preparing this. And some of it you can get for free on Google Books, which is quite helpful. That's well worth checking out. And then I've not really gone into detail on our emotions. That's a, a, another whole big area, but it's bound up with our physical bodies. Graham Bynan has written a, written a terrific book on emotions and the emotional life of Jesus. It's called Emotions, Living Life in Colour. And that book might be really helpful if you're wondering, what does it look like for me to grow in healthy emotions and for Jesus to heal my emotions? So I just recommend those two to you for now. Let's pray. And then maybe keep picking up these thoughts in conversation over coffee in home groups this week. Lord Jesus, we pray. 
please would you help us to see and to, to believe, to trust, to accept with a sense of contentment and peace that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Just as your word says, just as your incarnation proves. Lord, we thank you so much that you are committed to healing the brokenness of our bodies. We pray you would help us to be more excited about the day when you will return and that will be complete. But we also thank you that even now, even in the meantime, our bodies are basically good and have such immeasurable value and dignity. Lord, please help us to live with hope and with courage in view of those truths. For your glory. Amen.